Welcome to the Accessible Yoga Podcast, your weekly source for questions and answers around equity in yoga, hosted by Jeevana Heyman and Amber Carnes. Join us each week for powerful conversations with thought leaders at the intersection of justice, knowledge, and practice. Welcome to episode 21. I'm your host, Amber Carnes. In this episode, I welcome Francesca Cervero, a friend of mine, private yoga teacher, and teacher's mentor. Francesca gives insight into how she built her career and offerings as a teacher and teacher's mentor. She speaks in depth about the ways that we build trust, depth, and understanding for ourselves and our students on the journey of self-discovery using the tools of this practice. This conversation holds space for us to examine the ways teachers can empower and educate our students in group and private yoga wellness spaces. Hope you enjoy it. Here we go. Hey, Francesca, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Amber. So nice to be with you today. It's great to talk with you. Um, So I'd love if you would introduce yourself to our listeners. Tell us who you are and a little bit about your work, your yoga story. Uh, Let folks who might not know you get to know you a little bit. Yeah, sure. Um, My name's Francesca Cervero. (laughs) I live outside of the D.C. area, and I started teaching yoga in New York City in 2005. And pretty quickly, as a yoga teacher, um, began getting more and more private clients and built like a really full private teaching practice. I ended up a few years in teaching about 25 private yoga sessions a week. Wow. <laughs> and yeah, yeah. And did that for many, many years. I always did keep at least one or two group classes in my schedule as well, because I could feel that it was such a different skill and I didn't want to get rusty. So I always continued teaching group classes, but primarily was supporting myself teaching private lessons. And I did that, you know, like that living in New York City, um, teaching 25 private sessions a week for many, many years. And it was really fun. I learned a lot. I grew a lot. My teaching grew and evolved a lot in that time. And through that period of my teaching, I had lots and lots of friends, colleagues, even like mentors and teachers of mine who were maybe more experienced than I was in teaching or, you know, more had been teaching for longer, had been teaching more, or maybe even like sort of famous in the New York yoga scene, which I was not. I was just like, you know, I was quite young. I was relatively new, but who didn't have nearly as many private clients as I did. And the question I always got was like, well, why why do you have so many private clients? Mm -hmm. And often the insinuation was like, what's your marketing secret? What's your business trick? Yeah. How'd you trick all these people into working with you? Yeah, (laughs) totally. Right. And I didn't have one because I didn't, I wasn't doing any marketing. I didn't really have any business skills. Like I wasn't on social media. I didn't have a website. I didn't have a business card. I didn't have a logo. Like it had all been by word of mouth. Mm -hmm. So I knew like marketing and business wasn't the reason that I had so many private clients, but I wasn't really sure, honestly, what, what was the reason. And so the summer of 2012, I sat down to do some writing and try to figure out what it was that I was doing in my private teaching that made it so that students not only wanted to continue working with me for the long haul, but also get all their friends and family to work with me as well. Yeah. Because 
you know, I had a friend who was a really, really wonderful, talented, skillful teacher, very, very popular teacher in New York City, who had several private clients, but who confessed to me over lunch one day that he didn't really love teaching them because he felt like it was hard for him to decide what to do next with his student. It was, it was, um, he could never like tell if they were enjoying it. He was always like sweating, you know, it really was like, it was kind of stressful experience for him. So that was really interesting for me to hear because I looked up to him as such a skillful, experienced and popular teacher that I knew that he could be enjoying. I thought he could be enjoying his private students more. And there must just be something that I happen to do naturally that I was quite sure could be taught. Mm. They were, I, could, I was quite sure they were teachable skills. I just had to figure out what they were. Right. So in the summer of 2012, I sat down to do some writing and figure out, like, what am I doing that's different that other people may not be doing but could be if someone just told them about it or told them how to do it. And I f- initially thought maybe it would be an article. Maybe it would be, like, a three-hour workshop that I could sell or or get like 200 and 300 hour teacher trainings to put inside their training. And when I finished writing that summer, I mean, I had pages and pages and like hundreds of pages (laughs) written. And I realized like, oh, this is a much deeper subject. This is a much longer training. And I've taught it in many, many formats, but the, the sort of signature format that I teach, what's now called the science of the private lesson is, or has been a six day in person training. It's like full 40, 45 hours. So there's a lot of material there. There's a lot to it. So that was in 2012. I wrote that curriculum and started teaching that and have continued to teach the science of the private lesson in person, online, in lots of different formats. And then in 2016, I started creating more mentoring opportunities for teachers who wanted to study with me but for whom the science of the private lesson wasn't the right fit, either because they didn't want to teach private clients or they already were and were having a lot of great success, but needed help with a different part Mm -hmm. of their teaching. So, and then in 2017, I created my podcast, The Mentor Sessions, which addresses all kinds of things of which you have been on a guest. Yeah, twice. Twice, I think, (laughs) at least. Um, (laughs) So, so that's sort of been the evolution of my teaching. I started teaching private clients early on. I started teaching teachers in 2012 and I, and I've continued to teach students as well. I teach still about 15 private lessons a week and a couple of group classes. So I'm really invested in being on the ground, you know, and, and teaching students and being part of a community in that way while I also offer continuing education and mentoring opportunities for other yoga teachers. Yeah, so cool. Um, you know, I really love that you've um, focused on private lessons as kind of a core uh, tenet or <laughs> foundation of your work. Um, and in fact, um, on your website, it even says like highly customized private yoga sessions can be life changing. I noticed that when I looked at your website the last time. Uh, why? Why is private yoga life changing? What What's so special about it? I think there's two big reasons. One is that a yoga practice can be and is so incredibly 
vast. So if we engage with our yoga with curiosity and with love, it can be a really soft place for us to land. You know, it can be something that holds us for our whole lives, no matter the season that we're in. There's just so much there. It's such a rich tradition that there's never a reason that we can't do yoga in in one of its many forms. So that's one piece of it. The other piece is I think that having a teacher who has been working with you, creating customized lessons, really um, helping to figure out what parts of the yoga practice will be most supportive for you and in what in, in what way that will be helpful. And especially if you have a private teacher who's been with you mm-hmm. over the long haul and through the many different seasons of your life, I just have seen it be so valuable. You know, like a, a physical therapist will, you know, kick you out and say you're fine mm-hmm. after 12 weeks, right? That's not a practice that you take with you through your whole life. But, you know, because the yoga practice, like I said, is customized day to day and like in my view, we don't need to necessarily have any specific goals unless the student does. We don't owe the practice anything. Then what I really get to do as someone's private teacher is be an outside pair of eyes, pair of you know loving, compassionate eyes to help a student figure out how they're feeling and how their practice could support them today. And I've just seen the way that kind of inquiry and support and practice has, has radically changed totally. my students' and, lives. You know, from the perspective of the student, like with private yoga, I think one of the, the most powerful parts of that is that the student gets ways to customize the practice that are for the body that they have today. Like that is so huge, not only to normalize the fact that like bodies change, <laughs> right? They change day to day and throughout the seasons yeah, of our lives. Absolutely. And yeah. well, in yoga, we know they change minute to minute, right? Because <laughs> we do a body scan and Absolutely, something shifts yeah. after just a little bit of movement, right? And so I think it normalizes that, right? That there, I think, you know, because dominant culture sort of teaches us like there is a perfect body and you can attain it, you know, which is not really the way it works. Right. And the other thing is, you know, I feel like for students who uh, need some sort of adaptive practice, whether that's you know, uh, variations on poses in asana because they have a disability or a mobility limitation or it's appropriate for the size of their body or whatever that may be, or whether that's personalizing the practice in a trauma-informed way or in a way that works for someone who has anxiety. Like, I think that personalization is so important for helping people to get in touch with their personal power, which I think is like one of the reasons we do this practice, right? Yeah, absolutely. And what you realize when you teach, especially if you get the opportunity to teach lots of students one-on-one over a long period of time, everybody needs some kind of adaptation to their practice for all the reasons you just mentioned and then innumerable more. You know, the practice can be molded to offer, like I said, a soft place to land and a support and a foundation for all kinds of people in all kinds of situations. And that's one of the things that I love so much about yoga. And as I said, how vast it is, there's just something there that can be so incredibly helpful for, I think, every single kind of person if we take the time to figure out what it is that they need. I think the, you know, 
the reason your teaching resonates so much with me is that it's about meeting students where they are, you know, that day and that given posture, whatever is going on. Um, I wonder if you can like talk about a few ways that you do that, like practical ways that that actually happens within sort of a one-on-one setting. Like how do you meet your students where they are? Yeah. So let's yeah, see I know where, where to start. This is such a huge <laughs> topic. <laughs> um, there's just, yeah, there, this is like one of the six modules in the science of the private lesson. So I'm just thinking about what's, are you, are you, do you want to talk more about like really specific, tangible, actionable things or sort of like a more I've, big picture framework? I think I could kind of take it in either direction. It's fine. I know I sprang this question on you a little bit. <laughs> okay. No, that's fine. That's fine. No, I mean, obviously, I should have the answer to this question. Um, okay, I'll, we'll, we'll do like the big picture framework, because I think that's kind of a good place to start. Yeah. So one of the things that has really helped me figure out, how can I meet this student where they are? and then also teach that to other teachers, is this framework that I call the support challenge matrix. And so I've looked at things that come up in a yoga practice. And I, when I say yoga, I mean the full breadth of the practice, not just asana, but everything else that might be included. And I, I have seen that every single thing I could offer, whether it's a pose or a meditation practice or a pranayama practice or some kind of you know, movement tasks, et cetera, would fall into one of these categories, physical support, physical challenge, emotional support, mm-hmm. and emotional challenge. And it's so interesting to try and figure out in co-creation with your student, what is most helpful for them, what they respond to most. A lot of people respond really well to physical challenge, right? They like want to work hard. They help them feel themselves. A lot of people respond really well to physical support. They want to feel more relaxed. They want to feel like they can rest. They want, you know, to stretch their quads so this pain in their knee can go away. You know, like people respond really well to those things. Then there's emotional support, which again, I think some people respond well to, some people not so much. And that's doing things like showing your student how mm-hmm. present you are, how close you're paying attention, even just by saying, like changing, calling out when something that you're trying isn't working that well. Like I, I oh, you know, I wanted to try this restorative pose with you because I was hoping that it would help you feel more settled. But I'm wondering now if I, mm-hmm. if maybe it's making you feel more antsy and we, should go another direction, like really just checking in with them constantly about what you're offering, why, and how they're experiencing that. So you can make a change on the spot if necessary. And then emotional challenge is something that for whatever reason, it brings emotional challenge to your student. We find this a lot with maybe the more subtle aspects of the practice, like even just something like Shavasana. There's a lot of students for whom that's a really challenging pose. Same with meditation or different kinds of pranayama. On the opposite end of the spectrum, maybe some people really don't like physically working hard and, you know, it brings up a lot of emotions for them. So just a note that, you know, emotional challenge is something that I often recommend you stay away from until you've really built a a deeply trusting Mm -hmm. relationship with your student. 
So I don't push that on people, but I just try to identify, you know, what part of the practice, physical, emotional, spiritual, et cetera, and support or challenge, do they seem to respond really well to and which parts are hard for them? And so in the beginning of a relationship with a student, really, you know, kind of doubling down on the things that they like, on the things that make them feel good. And then as you, your relationship deepens and over time, you can start to bring in little bits of challenge in the way that can help them grow and evolve. And and looking at it as sort of a, a cumulative, like, exercise in trust building and, you know, building that relationship. I think that's a really beautiful thing to pay attention to as you start to introduce new things that might be more challenging. So thanks for that framework. Um, I'm wondering, like, what are some things that we can learn from working one-on-one that we might be able to take into our group classes, um, whether that's in person or online or whenever, someone might be listening to this podcast. <laughs> I don't know yeah. if we'll be back in group classes anytime yeah, soon. Yeah, right. Totally. Yeah. <clears throat> Completely. So, I mean, I think just most simply, the main thing that we should take from our private teaching, like the skill that we should take with us into our group classes is the ability to look and listen really closely, like really observe our student and try to make some guesses, some suggestions about how what they're doing might be more beneficial. So, you know, it's funny, people always tell me that after they take the science of the private lesson, their group Mm -hmm. classes change entirely as well. And I think that's partly because there's so much of my philosophy on teaching in general that comes through in this, what, these ideas about how to work one-on-one skillfully. And I think it's because like so much of how I learned how to teach and how I grew and evolved as a teacher and how I learned what I thought was important in teaching came through in my practice of teaching people one-on-one. So things like inquiry is more important than aesthetics, you know, looking at Mm -hmm. the yoga mat as a laboratory, not a stage. I didn't really learn that idea in teacher training, but I learned it really quickly when I was teaching private clients. Another one would be like, another one of my important teaching values is practices and poses, all practices and all poses can be seen as tools. So they're instruments of awakening, but they're not themselves inherently liberating, which means that we adjust to accommodate and none of the heart of the practice or the work gets lost. Again, I would add like, there's no such thing as a predetermined hierarchical linear kind of progress. Again, that was not really something that I necessarily learned in my foundational teacher trainings, but when you're working one-on-one with people in all different kinds of bodies and you see the way they respond or not to the things you're offering, really quickly, I learned anyway, okay, there's like no kind of really clear linear path to progress, certainly not physical progress, I would say spiritual or emotional either. So what we're really doing here is creating a container for people to experience presence. And we have all these tools that help us do that. Sometimes that does lead to changes in the physical body or, you know, it can lead to changes, but it's just not a universal predetermined kind of hierarchical progress. And so I think when we take, so those are all values that I learned by working with people one-on-one and just trying to figure out how to make the practice useful and helpful for them that have really come 
come over to the way that I think about teaching. Yeah, and I think I, I mean well. I just want to point out how uh, yogic of a teaching values those seem to me. You know, you're talking about like basically like removing this notion of hierarchy or striving, which I think is sort of a a very like Western capitalist thing that we're all kind of conditioned to like be productive and, you know, always be improving on ourselves. And instead, you know, it's not about that progress, but about presence, like you said, about practice, which is actually, you know, practice is independent from whatever progress you may make, you know? And so, yeah, I just, I think absolutely, uh, it brings me back to thinking about non-attachment always that like, we can be loosely sort of hold the results loosely, but be really invested in the effort of the practice or the, the, that being present while they're in the container. So thank you for all that. Yeah. Completely. Yeah. And I'll just add that, you know, even though I really strongly believe like that there's not a universal prescribed kind of progress that works for everybody or that everybody should strive for, that's not to take away the tool of, Mm-hmm. an individual person having a goal. You know, like I really try to walk this this middle path. Like if someone's like I really want yeah. to be able to do a handstand. It's like, okay. That's fun. Let's figure out how to do that for you. You know, there's nothing wrong with working towards something or trying to progress in some way if the 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 end goal allows for a path and a journey that's also really interesting and has the heart and for me oh go ahead like I had just I was just gonna say like I had a student who you know when we first started working together told me she used to be able to do a handstand as a kid it had been so 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 long since she'd done anything like that and she really wanted to work on it it was a big project for her and it was years before she did one, but she did her very first handstand (laughs) on her 50th birthday. And it's like, yeah, this is good. Like, this is great. You know, and she really had to be patient. It took literal years, but there was, there was a a lot of benefit in having that goal and of being able to do something that was fun for her. So I never intend to like take the tool of physicality or goals away from people. And also I want to point out that like she had a teacher, you, who could support that journey over the course of a year or however long it took, you know, for her to get that. And who is probably teaching her the whole time that like the goal, you know, you can have handstand as a goal and that's great, but let's not get handstand. Let's not get that confused for like, you'll finally get into yoga heaven when you can do a handstand. You know, like there, there's two different things there, right? Like, and I think totally. if of we course. can, uh, I, I think you hold that kind of space really beautifully where it's, it's sort of like know your reasons <laughs> and like those reasons, you know. Um, so anyway, yeah. that's a little tangent. But um, yeah, sure. Uh, so thank you for that. Yeah. <laughs> I want to shift gears a little bit and just talk about something else from teaching, um, which is that you're a pretty big proponent of watching students while they practice. You've talked about that a little bit already. Um, and mostly using verbal cues, not a lot of demonstrating uh, with teaching. Can you talk about why, um, why that's important? Yeah, absolutely. So there's a bunch of reasons. Let's. Where should I start? We'll start with this. 
I think that if we, now there's a difference between occasionally being like, hey, let me show you this and using your body as a tool. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. You know, I'm really very much like a middle path person. I, I don't really very often end up like on an extreme end of the spectrum. So your body can be a really helpful tool. I don't think there's anything wrong with occasionally showing things. One thing that I'll say is that if you as a teacher are on your mat the whole time and like doing the entire practice mm-hmm. with your students, then you can't see your students. And if you can't see your students, in my view, you can't really teach them. I take the view that teaching is is about relationship. And for relationships to be real, they can't be one-sided. You know, like my friend and meditation teacher, Ethan Nickturn, said, if someone doesn't know that they're mm-hmm. your teacher, then they're not your teacher. You know, <laughs> like, and I think he's referring maybe if people are like reading books by a Buddhist or meditation teacher and and then saying like, oh, so-and-so is my teacher. So he's saying like a teacher-student relationship requires both parties to know that that's happening. So I think relationship is important. And you, I think you really need to be able to see your students to be in relationship with them. If you can see your students really well, especially like in teaching online, I'm sitting up really close to the computer, to the camera, so that I can see people as well as I can see people. And from there, I can offer modifications if anybody needs it. I can offer suggestions. Mostly what I can do if I can actually see my students is adjust what I'm saying and what I'm doing so that if something isn't landing, if something, if people seem confused, I can try, I can fix myself, you know? And I really think, you know, it's, I don't, I'm not saying, especially in online teaching that we need to watch our students while they practice so we can quote unquote, correct them. Obviously, like, I don't, I don't believe there's like a correct or incorrect way to do anything. So it's not about that, but it's about actually being able to adjust what we're saying and what we're doing so that we can offer right. better more, more precision support with language to our or whatever students, the opportunity you know, and I think, is, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. And I think if we're demoing a lot, I think the emphasis starts to move away from an inquiry based practice, which is my yes. preference to yeah, like where it becomes more practice. about the shape than what's ever is happening also while learning inside the pose. Yep. Yeah. And, and, and what the shape looks like. And I think that students often want to know what is the shape supposed to look like? Am I doing it right? I want to see you do it so I can know if I'm doing it right. Yeah. And it makes sense. Like people are learning something new. They want to they want to make sure they're doing it right. There's nothing wrong with that question or that inquiry. But I think that it's an extra step and it can take some extra time. But if we can teach students how to listen to language about movement, and translate that language into an actual like physical kinesthetic experience. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of value in that teaching. Some people get it right away. Some people are naturals at that. And some people it's much more challenging. And I think everybody benefits when we slow down enough and say the same thing in enough different ways, 20 different times and 20 different ways to so that it's about the experience, not about yeah, the visual aesthetics you. of the um, shape. Let's talk. Of, oh, 
<laughs> also, Go I'll just add, yeah. I'll just add one more. I have a bunch, but I'll just add one more. As a teacher, it's much, I think, better for our bodies to, to teach with verbal cues as much as possible. Because certainly if, if it's like the only way that you know how to teach is by doing most of the practice with your students, depending on how active it is, if you are tired, if you are working with an injury, you know, that can be yeah, right. really limiting for teachers. And I think part of the reason I'm so passionate about this is because the first two years that I was a full-time yoga teacher, I had a very significant hip injury. I was in an incredible amount of pain. I walked with a cane for two years and often in those first two mm -hmm. years of teaching had to teach from sitting in a chair. I was only, I was, that was age 22 to age 24. And I had already been trained to teach with primarily verbal cues. But if I hadn't already been trained like that, like yoga teaching was how I was paying the rent. Like I don't, I couldn't have waitressed in that time. Mm -hmm. Like I don't really know how I could have supported myself if I wasn't already teaching with mostly verbal cues. So it's a really, really good skill to have because um, you can keep teaching no matter what's happening in your body. And then last thing, okay, then, then we can move on. But I <laughs> last thing is that when we learn how to teach with primarily verbal cues, our language and cueing becomes much more articulate. If you've forced yourself to just like keep saying different things until it starts to click for your students, you'll have like so many more options, so many more different ways yeah, to totally. talk about the same shape or the same movement because right. you didn't just say, here, awesome. here, let me just show it. you. Um, let's talk about teaching online. Yeah. Uh, I know you've been teaching online for a long time, but now you're teaching mm. online only. <laughs> me too. Um, and so maybe you can talk a little bit about, I don't know, the before and after of how your work looks uh, post or during pandemic and before pandemic, uh, but also just some advice that you might have for teachers that are new to online or having trouble transitioning. Cause I know you've been at this a while. Yeah, for sure. It's been a kind of fast and furious transition, I would say. I mean, I've been online. I've been working online since about 2012, but that was primarily in my offerings for teachers. And it wasn't really much like asana or meditation or pranayama or anything like that. About two years ago, I think, maybe three years ago, I had a private student who I had been teaching in person who moved away, um, who after about six months just at her local yoga studio that we found her in California reached back out and asked if we could try doing a private session online. And I had been honestly asked about this for years and mm. had always said no to people. I really didn't want to teach online, but with this student who I'd been teaching for so long in person and who I really loved, I was like happy to give it a try. It went really, really well. So I was like, oh, this is great. So we then did a private lesson every week and we have been for several years now. So when March of this year came and I realized pretty quickly and kind of early on, I would say, that I had to transition all my work to virtual and I had to do it immediately. I had I'd had this experience of working with a private student virtually and knowing that it actually worked really well. So I, you know, like and I have told this story a bunch of times, but I get this burned into my memory, you know, Thursday, March 12th, 
realized like there was no more in-person yoga that was really good to happen that was safe, not just for me or for my students, but for like our, our wider community, you know, just to protect each other, we really had to pull in. So even before any kind of like state or county regulations were put in place, I decided to transition everybody to virtual. I remember this partly because Friday, March 13th was like my last day out in the world and it was my birthday. And I knew it was like my last day out in the world. So I really like remember this weekend super well. But then by the following week, I, every single one, no, all but one of my private students uh, were open to the idea of switching to virtual private lessons. And so I started teaching all my private students virtually, moved my one group class I was teaching at the time virtual as well, and added a second virtual group class just for teachers and have been, you know, teaching like that now since March. I'm teaching probably about 15-ish private students online every week. And I teach two group classes online every week as well. And I've been really pleasantly surprised by how well virtual yoga teaching seems to work. For me, I think I got kind of lucky in that some of the things that are really important to me and the way that I taught in person just translated pretty well. Like one of the reasons that people say that they don't want to do yoga online is because they're online so much already. They don't want to stare at a screen. Right. But the way I teach, because there's nothing to <laughs> see right. on a screen, just my big face, like smiling at you, staring, you know, there's nothing to see. People don't have to look at the screen at all. You know, and my people who've been practicing with me in person were really used to just practicing to the sound of my like disembodied voice. So I'm just like back in the corner where nobody can see me. And I, I didn't really give hands-on adjustments in person. Anyway, so they just like didn't really lose that much, but they did gain the ability to be home and not have to fight traffic, find parking, be on public transportation, get a babysitter. You know, it's like all of a sudden all these barriers were taken away and we didn't really like lose that much just in the way that I teach. So that transition has been awesome. And I am going to be teaching everything virtually for the foreseeable future. I mean, at some point the world will be different, I guess, but like, I can't see, like, it would have to be really different for me to go back to teaching in person, not because, just because I think it works so well, you know, I just really think it works so well. So one thing that I want to say for teachers who, you know, may be wanting to teach online or haven't quite got started yet or are, are doing it, but feel unsure My number one recommendation or thing to keep in mind is that you really don't need a bunch of fancy stuff. You don't, I don't think, like, especially if you teach the way I teach, which is with mostly verbal cues, you don't need a camera, you don't need fancy lighting, you don't even need a microphone. Like I taught all my early group classes in March and April, like just with my laptop, no microphone. I had like a busted, ugly lamp that was like my husband's that was behind the camera so that it was lighting my face. But it was like, you know, one of those like $15 busted lamps from Target that was like 15 years old. You know, there's nothing fancy. I didn't invest any money. And I was like having 50, 60 people at my group classes in those early days. So you don't need to buy a lot of stuff. What you do need to do, I think, is just sit and 
and watch your students. I think that this really helps teachers feel connected to their students. I've heard from a lot of teachers who are feeling really burned out by all the online teaching and don't feel connected to their students at all. But most of the people who I've talked to who are feeling like that are people who are on their mat doing the whole practice and, and talking students through it. And I think, of course, like that would make you not feel, that would feel like a performance, you know, and that would be exhausting. But I get so much like energy in return from my students because I get to like be with them while they practice in this way that's so fulfilling. So I think if teachers are needing some advice, I would say, get your own virtual group class going. You now have potential students literally anywhere in the world. So you can have mm-hmm. your friend who lives on the other side of the country come to class, your coworker, you know, your former yoga students who, who moved away, they can come to class now. So you have all these potential students that you never had before. And all you need is a laptop and a pretty good internet connection. And then you can offer yoga in a way that I think is unique and totally really Um, meaningful. I gave you a shout out the other night in the accessible yoga training because we had a question about, um, you know, someone that was teaching online and they said, uh, I can never get my students to turn their video on and they just want to watch me. And I was like, well, you got to do what Francesca does, which is get up close to the screen so there's nothing to look at and then tell them, okay, everyone, you got to turn your video on so I can see and make suggestions. So thanks for that. I want to just like plug your classes. I love your online group classes. I've done uh, two of them recently. And uh, it's, it's a really wonderful format. I would say teachers, if you're not sure how to make this work online, attend Francesca's class and see how she does it. (laughs) I've learned so much just by watching and uh, modeling what they're doing. Yeah. So um, thank you for that. That was, that was all really great. I would love to, uh, for the last question to talk about the mentor relationship. I know that you work as a mentor for yoga teachers and that's like big on your heart. Mm. That's what your podcast is about. And you have an amazing Facebook group. We'll link to all that in the show notes. Um, why would a yoga teacher want to find a mentor? Um, and what does that relationship look like of the mentor mentee? Um, how can that look? I think one of the things that makes teachers reach out and ask for support is when they're struggling with information overload. I think a mentor can be so helpful in supporting a teacher and kind of filtering out the noise. You know, with the prevalence of social media and email marketing, it's like we all have access to so, so many teachers and so much more information than we did even like 10 years ago everybody's putting content, like amazing, really good, interesting, high quality, free content online. And so I know some teachers who like just feel a responsibility to try to take it all in, but you, it's like, you can't absorb all of that all the time. So that's one of the things that I've, I've helped teachers do is like process, okay, what's important? What do we need to focus on? How can you dive deeper into the areas that you really want to grow and evolve? And then where can you filter out, you know, where there's noise. So I think helping process information overload is a big reason that people need a mentor. I think just even bigger picture, probably helping teachers figure out what's important to them and, and get, and getting support and making a clear path forward in the growth 
and the evolution of our teaching. Something that I feel really passionate about is having us all, myself very much included, continue to work on my my own teaching. How could it be more skillful? How could it be more clear? How could it more deeply honor yoga's roots? And, and like consistently asking hard questions about my teaching, why I'm doing what I'm doing. And never doing that from a place of self-hate, right? What I want to encourage teachers to be able to do is to look really critically at their own teaching, ask good, hard questions about why they're doing what they're Mm -hmm. doing without it being like, without beating up on ourselves. And I think a mentor can be really supportive in that because we all have things we could do better. We all have ways to grow and things to learn. And if we can engage in that learning process from a a warm, tender, compassionate place, I think that we can grow and evolve more deeply and more quickly. But if all of our learning and all of our growth is kind of tinged with this frustration or this self-doubt or like it pulls us into this shame spiral, then I think it's really hard to show up as a teacher and do and do good work. And so I think as a mentor, that's something I try to do a lot is help people walk that line between working on our teaching without like getting it, getting us ourselves yeah. pulled into like self-doubt drama, you know, and I think um, getting another pair of eyes and ears on your teaching is so critical. And now it's fun because it's so much easier for me to, observe people's classes and give them feedback because it's all online. You know, it used to be that I could only like attend people's classes and give them feedback if they were local to me. But now um, that so many people are teaching virtually, I'm able to like, you know, they just send me the recording of their class. I take it, give them feedback and we talk about it. And it's, it's really been fun to get to work with my mentees in that way that I hadn't been for people who weren't local. So I think mentor-mentee relationships differ depending on the mentor. I know that for me, I feel like my role is to ask the right questions and support my mentee in being in deep Mm -hmm. inquiry about their teaching, really just like when I teach my students. (laughs) I'm not really like a coach or a babysitter. I I want to empower my mentees to trust themselves. So that's the way it works with me. It's not like you owe me this homework. You said you were going to do this. I'm going to hold you accountable. That's just like not how I roll. You know, I, I really like trust them to know what's right for themselves. And I want to support them in growing in that self-trust as well. So let's say we make a plan for them to work on something that month, but then a weekend they feel like mm-hmm. it's not right and they go in another direction. I'm happy. You know, I don't care if they do what I say. I care if they're invested and curious and feel held yeah, and supported, just like when I All teach right, my so, students. All right, so tell us, uh, as we wrap up here, what do you have coming up that you'd like folks to know about um, or where can folks find you? We're going to link to all your stuff in the show notes, but uh, tell us what you got going on. Yeah, sure. So I've got the podcast, which is the Mentor Session Support and Strategy for Yoga Teachers. We've got, you know, episodes coming out for the most part every two weeks. So I'm not sure when this episode goes live, but we'll we'll have some more coming up in the near future. And then I've also got my group classes that you mentioned. And so fun to have you in class, Amber. And 
the name, and I actually like ended up accidentally opening a virtual yoga studio because the group classes were going so well. And I was getting a request for more different classes and more different class times that I couldn't yeah. take on. So, but I have all these amazing teachers who I've mentored and who are really on the same page about their, our teaching philosophy. So I've got a bunch of, a bunch, I've got three other teachers at the studio now and people can find out more about all the classes that we offer at stillnessandmovement.com. That's the name of the studio, Stillness and Movement. And then in the new year, I'm going to be offering an online workshop based on these ideas about teaching with mostly verbal cues. I have a podcast episode that I did, maybe we can link here, several years ago called The Case for Teaching Without Demonstrating. And it talks about like why I think it's helpful, how to practice doing it if you're new, and of course, reasons that you might use your body as a tool to demonstrate when it's helpful because middle path. So in the new year, at some point, I'm going to get my act together and we'll do a workshop all about this where teachers will actually get the chance to practice teach each other online. (laughs) So I should, I should have done that this year because people I know really need it, but I was like too busy (laughs) pivoting my whole like, you know, business and opening virtual yoga studio to quite get that together. But teachers can uh, stay tuned for that. If If people go to teach private yoga.com, um, you can get awesome. on my newsletter that list and then you will so miss valuable. any of the fun stuff um, I've got coming out. I can't out. wait to promote it. Uh, thank you, Francesca, so much for your time today and for being on the podcast. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. We appreciate me your all support. All right, so check the show notes and you'll get all Francesca's fan. links and you can get on her email list so you don't miss out on any of the great resources that she sends out all the time. Thanks a lot and have a great day. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you for joining us for another week of the Accessible Yoga Podcast. I wanted to let you know that the new cohort of Jeevana Heyman's Accessible Yoga Training Online is now forming. The next section of this flagship training will run January 22nd through February 5th. And the Accessible Yoga Training is a 30-hour continuing education program that will teach you a new way of thinking about yoga postures and practices that honors the essence of yoga, but allows you to design multi level classes where students of different abilities, ages, shapes, sizes, and experience levels can all practice together with ease. You'll get support from experts around topics like trauma-informed teaching, working with larger bodies, yoga for seniors, yoga marketing, and much more with our team of accessible yoga trainers. And since we're learning at home now, there's no travel expenses, everything's recorded with captions, and you can review materials and work at your own pace. So if this work is calling to you, we hope you'll go to accessibleyogatraining.com and sign up for the waitlist. Over the next few weeks, we'll be sending out information about the course and teachings from Jeevana that will help you make your classes and learning spaces more accessible, whether you're teaching online, in person, or don't know what the heck is happening next. (laughs) So spend the beginning of 2021 developing your skills as a teacher who can make their classes accessible for all and have every student leaving your class feeling affirmed and successful. Join the waitlist now at AccessibleYogaTraining.com. We hope you'll leave us a review wherever you subscribe to your podcasts and all also subscribe to this podcast. We love hearing your feedback. It really helps us to make it a little better each week. And we hope you'll give us some input on future guests or topics that you'd like us to cover. Just send us an email through our website, accessibleyogatraining.com. We'll see you soon. Thanks.